and welcome to Jim and Ben's Movie Adventures. My name is Ben, and I'm here with Jim, or as I like to call him, Smalls. Yeah, you're killing me, Smalls. You're killing, killing me, Smalls. <laughs> uh, and this week we watched, if you haven't guessed it, uh, The Sandlot, uh, a childhood favorite of mine. Yeah, so I was not expecting this call from you, even though it's very much, you know, on brand um, for for you. Um, I, I just wasn't, I just wasn't, I was just like, the Sandlot, the, the Sandlot. And also, I should just say, just diving right in, I, for a long time, this movie confused me due to localization, um, <laughs> right? Because... You were like, we're watching The Sandlot. And even now at like, you know, whatever I am, late 30s, shall we say. Let's keep it not quite super specific. Um, not that I care how old people are. It's it's just, you know, whatever. Um, but, but look, due to localization, I always knew this movie growing up as The Sandlot Kids. Because oh. in Australia and the UK, um, this movie wasn't sent with its original title it was sent with a title of the sandlot kids and i don't know i guess that brings me to my first like trivia thing which is i it's this thing called localization so i know you've probably heard of it ben but like you know if you're watching this and you, you don't know what this is particularly it's if you are super fascinating particularly if you're a younger person like much younger than me you probably have no idea what this no. is because it doesn't really happen much anymore because we've got much more of a, like a global movie Stream, going streaming changes yeah exactly well even, instant even, release and even before that it was sort yeah. of going going out because it's like you know the, the whole idea is that a different region of the world might have a, a localized version of the film which usually just appealed to uh, like usually just applied to the title so um and of course in australia I think they were worried that we baseball. didn't know what a sandlot was. Um, also, you know, like baseball, like like sandlot, baseball, add the kids to it because that's what it's really about. Like. Yeah, so it was sort of, so I don't know. I think they felt that by putting the sandlot kids on the end, it was like, hey, it's a kids movie and it's, you know, um, I don't know. I think they thought it made it more accessible. So, but really confusing if you are used to the localized version and then you know now in this internet age you go and research a beloved movie that you used to watch and you literally have been doing the title wrong the whole time and you're not sure if you've got the right one or whatever now look this one not an extreme example i am relatively clever i do understand that the sandlot in the u.s translates to the sandlot kids and i can i can get there you know um but look not every localized title is as easy as as that one but um it's also something that i'm really thankful that they don't really do anymore because of the whole global film economy and you know it creates confusion so well, there's a there's a one art was it lucky lucky number 11 or whatever it yes, was yes that was a big one so and that was that's called the wrong man in Australia. So, right. and it's just like totally different. Like, you yeah. know, so, and, and I really liked that movie. So um, I remember being like, oh, the wrong man. And then like, people were like, do you mean lucky number 11? Cause it was like, and I was like, wait, what are you watching? What no, am I, I mean watching? the wrong ah, man. It's the same film. Um, but anyway, look back to the Sandlot. So, so Ben, what led you to select this for us? I went through a really heavy childhood phase of these movies so i'm talking about sandlot mighty ducks i'm talking about kind of any the big mighty green ducks also had localization for australia 
the first one was called Champions yeah, in Australia. Yeah. It was like because it had the song in it. Well, <laughs> anyway, sorry, keep going. Yeah, um, uh, the Big Green. So like young childhood sport movies uh, that were very easy to get on VHS and later on DVD as we were children. Uh, and I used to just like because I'd go to my dad's for the weekend, and we'd get a movie. And it was just like, I would just go through all the movies. And I, I went through a real phase of these types of movies. I, I loved them. Um, well, these movies as well, like, I think watching it again and like, so I haven't, this is one that I haven't seen for years. Like I have, I had not seen The Sandlot, you know, for, I don't know, at least a decade, you know, probably yeah. longer. Um, and it was when I was watching it, I was like, man, they don't make these anymore. Like, they you don't. Know, um, and it's sort of like, and then he sort of, well, they, they kind of do, but they're, they're direct to VHS. They're not, oh, not VHS. Well, now I'm showing my age. Um, they're direct to, you know, uh, digital. They're not theatrically released. Like they're usually much smaller what? budget for this kind of movie than this movie had even at the time. Like, you know, and they're just typically not do as Do you know what I think the, the difference is? So when the directors that made these films were making these films, they were telling stories about their childhood. Yeah which was the 60s and 70s and 50s and stuff like that, right? Nobody wants to hear a childhood of the 90s and the early 2000s. <laughs> Everyone had mobile phones and was jerks. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the difference. You can't make these movies anymore because the same stories don't exist. Yeah. yeah. Like you, the, it, it is a tough one, though, because you bring up the period piece aspect of it, and I'm sort of like... This is a movie from the 90s, so it's already, it's now 30 years old, you know, but it's about the 60s, so it's a... Well, it, uh, uh, late 50s. Right, so like, so it's sort of like... Late 50s, early 60s. The yeah. movie's old, and then it's also going another layer, you know, to actually get, hark back to an earlier phase, which and actually the... makes the filmmaking of it kind of interesting to watch, because you're watching the 1960s visually but presented through a 1990s lens but of course we're so far progressed from that now that it's like you know and the, and the period is such a small part of the backdrop of this film like it's not really like specific except for like the baseball references in it of like babe ruth and things like that right so that those references are timely in this time period um but the rest of it is just kids outside playing like yeah, and it's it's this really. It's also uh, when I was watching it, I was like, "That's right," because this is a super episodic movie. It's not like a normal. I don't say normal, but like more traditional kind of movie that like you know builds and builds and builds into a climax, and then it's this huge, and then it's the the end. This movie is really just a series of little episodes that it's take like place over the yeah. summer. You know, so. Um, so shall we go through some of those so episodes? Let's start with some quick, uh, quick stats and facts. All right. So directed by David Mickey Evans, written by David Mickey Evans and Robert Gunter, and narrated by David Mickey Evans. Uh, so the voice you hear in this movie uh, is the director and writer of the film. Uh, he didn't do a lot else in life as far as like films and stuff goes. He wrote a bunch of stuff, but like he wrote. Like he had two kind of biggish hits with a movie called Radio Flyer and then The Sandlot. He also did like the 1993 TV movie Journey to the Center of the Earth. Uh, and he's done stuff since then. Like, do you remember the, the monkey baseball movie, Ed? Oh, uh, yes. He did that, which is awful, by the way, <laughs> just bad. 
He did Beethoven's third, Beethoven's fourth. He did The Sandlot 2. He did Ace Ventura Jr. So he really had a theme of like childhood movies and none of them ever stacked up to The Sandlot again. Uh, but he still works and writes till this day, like a lot of just TV shows and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, so also uh, a big cast. Uh, so the main nine boys, uh, I won't go through and list them all now, but there are kind of like three main ones. Uh, Tommy Guire, who played Scotty Smalls, uh, Mike Vitar, who played Benny Rodriguez, uh, and Patrick Renner, who plays Ham Porter, the catcher. Yeah. I think they're like the big kind of three. Absolutely. Um, and Ham's, and Ham's fantastic in this movie. This movie doesn't work without Ham's character, or probably <laughs> that actor, to be honest. Uh, it is so good. He's just so watchable, isn't he? Like, in every scene, is this little scene stealer, and he's just like... It, look... It's a it's a cliche. It's a call it a stereotype, but it's it's a very charismatic performance, you know, by by a young actor um, who's like, and that's like when I sort of started, I'm like, you're killing me, Smalls. Like, you know, that I still is, use it in my daily life. I know it's it's a great like, and and to see it in the movie, and then like to to see it twice, and I just such fond memories of that. And then when I watched the movie, I then fell down the I'm like. I, I use that, but I'm sure I've heard it elsewhere. And then, like, sure enough, it's it's actually an internet meme now. Like, pop culture, yeah. You know, <laughs> like, which I'm like, that's just super cool. So I will I will point out uh, that also notable mentions of Karen Allen, mm-hmm. uh, Indiana Jones fame, uh, played as it Marion Ravenwood or Raven. That's right. Yeah. Yep. In uh, Raiders. Last Cru- Raiders, and then the one King of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. yeah. Uh, James Earl Jones, uh, Darth Vader himself as Mr. Myrtle, uh, and uh, two of the childhood actors are also in a movie that we've already mentioned uh, earlier in this podcast. Uh, Mike Vitar was in Mighty Ducks 2 as the really fast skater kid, uh, and Brandon Quinton Adams, who we didn't mention before, uh, the pitcher in the movie, is in Mighty Ducks 1. Yeah, nice. So, look, what was your favourite episode of the of the few there's there's i guess the ones that come to my mind there's there's water park there's um uh fourth of july night game um there's you know facing off with the bullies uh in in their diamond uh then there's a carnival you know um and then of course all the dog stuff at the end my two favorite uh is one you kind of didn't mention which is the 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 beginning the, when he kind of first awkwardly runs out into the field and just kind of hides behind oh, the bush. His, yeah, right, right. And then, like, you get Benny noticing him and kind of, like, pulling him in and giving him the glove, giving him the hat. That stuff I kind of really dug because it gave the movie its its soul. Because without that beginning and that kind of connection between Benny and Smalls, you don't get really the rest of the movie working at all in my opinion and then the second one uh i love is the the fourth of july uh the fourth of july for some reason ever since i was a kid i've just thought was because i've had nights like that where for some reason it's just way more lit up we don't really have fourth of july in australia but way more lit up kids are out having fun playing in a park or the streets because their family's having a picnic or something and it just it's invocative of a memory uh or memories that i have um, I also, in that beginning part, there's a trope that I want to point out that I hate. And it's 
and it's I don't know why it exists in this movie because it creates I suppose it is core to the conflict in a strange way the the trope of a mum with a kid marrying a dude without that dude really knowing the kid yeah I think I think in this who one... in their right mind <laughs> marry somebody without them going yeah they get on with my kid or they know my kid really well by this point or something like that like it's wild to me yeah i think you get away with that one with the time period you know like yeah um i think you know it, it's sort of we're looking at that late 50s early 60s kind of era then you know I, I think that was probably more common you know and 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 i think it's forgivable in a strange way in this movie because the dad's not a villain at all like he's no. not a bad guy. He's actually, he's just as awkward. Like I really liked that relationship. Like you know, and it's almost like, and that's Dennis Leary, yeah. um, as as the father, and he's like, he's there, and he's. It's not that he doesn't want to teach him to play catch. It's just it's a little bit too hard to to do that. For well, him. I don't think he strictly knows how to dad. No, right? he doesn't. Like, like that's doesn't. the thing. Like, and when he's trying, he, he he can't teach. He can't teach that skill. Like. You know, Benny could, like later in the movie, Benny actually literally is like, well, hold your arm like this. Pretend you're doing this. Like gives him yeah. some stories, gives him some tips. And the dad's just like, eh, you know, keep your stepdad rather. Just mm. keep your eye on the ball. That's all he's got, you know, because he doesn't know how to. And that's and that's a nice scene because that really does show you that he is, as you say, at least as awkward, um, yeah. you know, as small. So and, and, and then it kind of also, I think the fact that he's not, you know, a, a jerk. He's mm. just, you know, unfamiliar, you know, um, really makes the climax of the movie much more intense because, you know, e even if he was a villain, you may not, you know, he, mind he as much. He wouldn't be wrong. Exactly. Like, you know, it wouldn't be s quite so high stakes necessarily. Like, but because it's like, oh, this, this is bad. This is, and he's yeah. not a bad guy. So you don't yeah. want him to lose his Babe Ruth baseball, you know, like, so, um, but I don't know. I, I, my, I, I, I do like that initial interaction as well. I, I think my enduring memory of this movie is the chewing tobacco on oh, yeah. the, the, on the carnival ride. That's literally what I, that's what I remember when I was watching it as a kid, like, That'll get you. you know, um, so, and also look as a kid, I, I gotta say, and I also do remember as a child, it's the spinning on the chewing tobacco. And it's, it's something that you don't like in any movies that we've discovered, which is there's a stolen kiss in this movie, Ben. <laughs> it's, it's a little more forgivable because like of the way it's kind of played and the way that, the female character kind of relates, but yeah, no, it is a stolen kiss. Yeah. Uh, I got, I got two facts about what you just brought up. The chewing tobacco, obviously the kids couldn't chew chewing tobacco in the movie. I would hope. But not. so it was actually a combination of licorice and bacon bits, which actually made the kids just as physically sick. Yeah. Uh, and the other one was in the shooting of the scene uh, with the stolen kiss, apparently the kid was a bit uh, rambunctious and had to be told multiple times to keep his tongue in his mouth. Oh, okay, really? <laughs> the director's like, keep it in your mouth. So, you know, it, it's, yeah, well, you know, just a kid. But I mean, um, What is he, like nine in that movie? Yeah, like, well, <laughs> actually, fun fact, they originally tried to cast nine and 10-year-olds for this movie. 
And when they put them on screen, they're just like, they look like babies. <laughs> so they recast like 11 and 12 year olds. Yeah, right. Okay. So, because they just didn't like how it, it looked, uh, which is, is weird. Uh, but yeah, I love those two. Like, I don't think there's a particularly weak part of this film, like a part, right? Like, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's, it's really, I mean, the whole thing start to finish is, is pretty charming, you know, like really. And it's sort of every, every little episode has its own, you know, moment where you think, oh, that's, that's charming. That's, that's funny. That's, you know, that's, that's, you know, um, like yeah. I even like the, 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 when they're retelling the story of the beast, you know, um, and the flashback in oh, the old filter damn. and in the tree house, like there's just so much there. That's like, oh, it's all like classic growing up stuff. You know, I, it, it's made me laugh. I think every time I've ever watched this movie and it's just cause it's a weird kind of like old school, stupid humor of the s'mores jokes. Yeah. I, I this this again as an australian you know and not having, have you ever had a small i have but yeah. i had one as an adult you know like uh, so so literally like this movie was me going s'mores look amazing you know like they're not, they're just, not the best actually. but i didn't know that like you know <laughs> what i mean like so when and and you know when they're like and you melt the marshmallow and the shiny and i was like this looks like an incredible thing and then i'm like they're really common in america and i'm like wow i need to go to america because i need to try a s'more you know and i have one as an adult and i'm like well this is yeah. fine but you know after watching the sandlot i i kind of was expecting <laughs> yeah I expected these to be amazing. Yeah. But again, it, I think it also plays back to the childhood memory of things, right? Like this is an adult telling a, a his childhood memories and the s'mores stuck out to him as being amazing, obviously, and things like that. And that actually like, that that kind of brings, brings us to like, what I think is a super interesting part of this film, which is like, you know, perspective and the perspective of the movie which is it's all from the perspective of the kids and depending on the sequence you know the shooting of the sequence um you know will you almost in the kids imaginations in some ways of them heightening everything and making it larger than life and like the choices to you know towards the end of the film sure the beast is portrayed as just a dog but probably for the first two thirds it's it's a puppet you know it's like a giant it's like, two men inside a dog suit. Right? So it's it's like, you know, it's this sort of, and, and it's quite clearly, you know, larger than life because that's how the boys have built it up within their minds. You well, know? talking about the, the beast or, or Hercules, as you, you find out his name is, it's pretty much kind of Jaws. I know, I was going to say that too. I was like, you never like see... They Jaws the bejesus out of this dog. Yeah. You never see all of the dog until like the very end of the movie, you know. Um, but again, that's that childhood in their minds. They've built up the beast. And yeah. when they finally see the dog, you get the first clear image. And it's it's just a really big dog, like a, a mastiff. And, you know, the other thing that watching this movie, having not seen it for years and years and years, I had huge memories of James L. Jones in this movie. And he's in one scene at the end, and I did not. I like literally was like, it was like three quarters of the way through the film, and I was like, "Isn't 
Now, I remember James Earl Jones is in this movie. Like, you know, it, he's, and I remember it being a big part, like, of the movie. And he's not. He's in one scene that goes for, like, a minute and a half at the end of the film. So it's kind of just that scene. little wrap up. Yeah. It's a good scene, but, you know. <laughs> well, again, it's, it's that it's that challenging of expectations of what the kids expected, right? Yeah. So the kids expected this big, scary man who ran a junkyard, but he's an ex-baseball player who is effectively just lonely. Like, yeah. and, and so they had no evidence to go off. Like, it's that bit at the end where they're like, hey, if you just come to the front door and knocked, I would have I got yeah. you a ball. That's right. And, and, the and whole... then they all beat up squint. Yeah. <laughs> And was like, oh, I've done that. That's happened in my friendship groups in the past. Um, so yeah, so friendship, kind of Benny Rodriguez meets him. Then we go to what is basically just playing baseball, right? So they play baseball every day. They go to the pool. The pool scene. A kid today wouldn't get that scene. Like that doesn't exist anymore. Like not even at least in my our areas of like going to the local pool as a group of children without adults yeah, and just mucking up well, at the age of 11. I don't think kids would do it now. I mean, I, I did it when I was Yeah, a I kid. did it. <laughs> like, but even just that idea of like being allowed to go to the public pool as a 10, 11 year old without an adult, like, yeah, I don't think it happens now. Probably shouldn't happen. Do you know what I mean? No. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I remember uh, well, we used to do stuff like that, you know, and like, um, and and used to. Do, I just remember even just in my suburb, you know, because it, it's very much it's, it's a suburbs, uh, you know, movie, right? You know, where it's sort of like this idea of you know bored, uh, you know, get getting out and, and hanging out with the neighborhood kids, you know, which is is something that you know I used to do with kids in my suburb who who I knew, you know, and we used to. You know, and, and look, it's not like we were bending the, it's not like we were breaking the truth, but you know, my mom thought I was at my friend's house and yeah, yeah we started there, but like, then you know, walk to the pool, the park, walk to the pool or, or walk to the, the beach or the tree shop, or whatever, the right? shop, went and climbed a cliff and came back like, you know, um, and, uh, you know, so it just, I don't know, it brought up all of that stuff for me. Like, just, you know, rem remembering that as, as you watch these kids do it, and then you're, like, remembering your own experiences of it. So I, I kind of wonder, in fact, how it would play for that modern audience who, I don't know, shall we say, maybe, and this is a generalization, but, you know, a lot of kids grew up, grow up inside now. Like, you know, so it's sort of like... I don't think this movie really plays to someone below the age of maybe 25. Yeah, you reckon? Because um, in Australia, at least, because the baseball hook doesn't work, really, for most Australians. The, the experiences in the film don't translate across as much as they used to anymore. Yeah. Like, it, it's very, like, it's, it's telling a very singular story about a boy in the suburbs in the 50s playing baseball over our summer holidays which again like our summer holidays yeah we do have a big chunk of holidays but it's it's still not the same mythos as behind like an american summer holiday um 
Yeah, and I just thought, yeah, yeah, I guess you, you could be right. It doesn't, it maybe doesn't play if you're under 25, which is kind of a shame, but you know, I'm not surprised about that either. So I think if people gave it a chance, they'd still enjoy it. Cause I think, although the movie is about baseball and it's got this backdrop that it has, I think it's funny. I think the characters and actors are engaging. I think the story is, is fun. It's about growing up in general. Like, I think there's a lot of fun there if people gave it a chance, but I think the first hurdle would be getting people to watch it. It's also like, I look at it through a modern lens and I'm like, what age do you show kids this movie? I'm like, I don't really want the the stolen kisses and the chewing tobacco. <laughs> to and there's only, there's only one swear, which is they use like a, a modern day one F-bomb that somebody has. Like, yeah. like it's this really kind of like poignant kind of like, exclamation mark on the moment but yeah like it's i i think you can actually show it a bit younger than you present it because the naughty things they do in this film aren't to be naughty they aren't to be disobedient it's not like a it's not like they're breaking the rules because they want to be bad or anything like that it's a lot of like kind of just growing up and making us and all these things that you're talking about don't work out well usually for them. No, that's true. Chewing tobacco backfires. They get banned from the pool for the summer. (laughs) Like they don't get rewarded for the bad behavior. And as I said, the behavior itself isn't that bad. And I'm not, I'm not a parent, but I think the things that are bad in this film are easy conversations for a 10 year old to have, for example. Like, Hey, like, it probably is. It probably is a, it's a tween movie really, isn't it? So it's that sort of, you know, 10, 10. And any later than that, they wouldn't be interested. Yeah, 10 to, 10 to even 12 is probably yeah. like your, your, your limit. So, but hey, look, it's a charmer. I, uh, I, I enjoyed myself. So what else I you got, got for us? I got a couple of notes. Um, this movie, I don't know this officially, but I feel like it may hold the record for saying the word pickle the most times without having a physical pickle in the movie. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, there's a, a term in baseball uh, called a pickle, which basically means um, you're stuck between bases and the fielders are throwing the ball between bases trying to get you out. Like you're in a, you're in a pickle, you're in a jam. Uh, and it happens a few times in this movie. Uh, and they even describe the dog chase at the end as a pickle. Um, so there's that. Uh, I said, I am Jim's Benny Rodriguez. <laughs> Oh, uh, also, I, I don't also think that's true. Jim but... is smalls, but way more athletic. <laughs> well, were my I don't think that you're Benny Rodriguez, uh, and I, I'm probably closer to smalls than I would like to admit. Um, <laughs> but you're definitely not Benny. <laughs> I mean, the obvious answer is ham, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I also, yeah, I'm ham. Also. Did the Sandlot invent drones? No, why? The rector, the when they build the little, the little tank and send it down the ramp, and he's controlling it. Oh right, it's like a military <laughs> drone, man, like a bomb disposal drone. Yeah, wild. Don't ask, don't ask me how some of that works. You know, <laughs> it doesn't. That's pure fiction. But um, yeah, so yeah, their their mum was married. Yeah. Uh, the published two. Oh, okay. So the movie is based on the writer, director, narrator's childhood, uh, actually including the Beast. 
uh, which came from a real incident uh, when he was a kid with his brother when they tried to retrieve a baseball from a neighbor's yard. Except in real life, uh, Evans didn't befriend the neighbor uh, and his brother just got attacked by the dog. <laughs> I hope it was okay, but that yeah. on the surface is funny. Uh, also, on the whole, based on his life, the person he based squints on uh, tried to sue him for outing him as a nerd. Uh, he sued the production, annoyed that his namesake was a big nerd, where he subsequently got, in real life, he had subsequently got contact lenses and fixed his teeth and put his nerd past behind him. Uh, spoilers, he lost the case. Look, I would kind of hope so, you know? Like, that's so, that's so frivolous. Uh, Look, if we're talking about things that are American... That's also very American yeah. to sue somebody for something somebody. like that. She said I was a nerd. I'm not a nerd. <laughs> I'm cool. I got lenses and fixed teeth. Um, some of the kids get short shifted in this movie as far as characters go. And there's one that I can't stand. And I want you to see if you can guess which kid I would cut from this movie. You know, I don't. Is, is it the kid who repeats everything his brother says? <laughs> oh, Tommy repeat Timmons. I thought it was funny. It's funny the first two times, but when you're just watching a scene and he's not even in the shot and in the background, you just hear him go, bah, 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 bah. and you're like, why did he even, why did they even include that? Honestly, though, I think you, you're definitely right that like, I had kind of not really remembered that only three of the kids are developed characters, you know? And oh, Squint, Squints has his moment, That's right? true. That's true. Uh, Brand, uh, the pitcher, uh, Kenny the Heater Nunez, doesn't really have much. But remember, towards the end, when they're trying to sort out the beast, and there's that one kid who gets left in the treehouse with the, with the so, vacuum. So I, that's Timmy Timmons, the older brother. Well, when he came down... And he actually said something. I was looking at him going, I don't know which kid you are. I haven't seen enough of you in this movie to know which kid you are. <laughs> he doesn't do anything in the film until just before that. And then he actually is in the, a bit of the action following that as far as like, he has some lines. Yeah, They're all in the back half or like third of that movie though. Yeah, um, I just remember he popped up after that vacuum scene covered in dust. And I was like, you're speaking, but... I don't know who you are. I don't know what your name is. I don't know what your thing is. Because <laughs> all his lines before that, their only function was to be repeated by his brother. Yeah, right. That's all yeah. they had. Uh, and then the last kid we haven't spoken about is Bertram Grover Weeks, the kind of tall kid with the glasses and the hat. Oh, yeah. He had a couple of good lines. Yeah, he had some moments. Like, he was the one who, who introduced the chewing tobacco uh, and things like that. So, I mean... Oh, and then there's uh, Yeah Yeah, whose sole thing was that he said yeah yeah and doubled up words and then in invented bungee jumping um, <laughs> yeah which that was a joke in the final narration where i was like eh, didn't need that but you know <laughs> okay so in previous podcasts i've chosen an element of movies that i think make a good movie yep i love a wrap-up i love a wrap-up like a where are they now wrap-up like i think that should be in every movie i love it like the whole like Bertram got really into the sixties and disappeared, yeah. and you know that's and, a uh, very that's a dark. very kid friendly way to say that. Yeah. Just it, it, it didn't say he found acid and really lost himself or something oh, like that. Yeah, 
But um, yeah, very kid way of like, he got really into the sixties and one of them played triple A, the pitcher played triple A and, you know, and then there's the obvious ending of, you know, Benny, the jet Rodriguez, as he becomes known is becomes a professional baseball player. And uh, Smalls is the, uh, like the, the commentator for the, is it the Dodgers, I think. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, whatever team they are. I don't know. The Dodgers, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> baseball, I don't know. So so a couple of couple of weird baseball, not weird, but a couple of baseball facts from this movie that I only noticed for the first time this time. So partway through the movie, just before the last third, Benny Rodriguez is visited by a ghost. Yes. And is it a ghost or is it his imagination? I don't know. Uh, and it's the ghost of Babe Ruth. And Babe Ruth takes a playing card with him. He goes, I don't know why I want this, but I'll, I'll take it. Uh, it. And the baseball card is Hank Aaron or Henry Aaron. The reason he took that, I looked it up, is Hank Aaron broke his home run record. It was like a nod to say, like, like this is the guy who actually holds the home run record now. That's, that's all that was. It was really weird to me that it existed in the film. So I kind of had to look it up the second thing is the two baseballs in this movie the one that has babe ruth's signature on it and then the one he gets to replace that which has the whole team on it the babe ruth baseball is still worth more yeah really because he signed way fewer baseballs just by himself than he did with the whole team so his singular signature by itself is rarer than it is with that whole team Wow. So I was because like I like collectibles and I've I've gotten into collectibles over my life and I was just like I wonder what the actual deal is there like a Babe Ruth baseball is insanely expensive now if it's authenticated um, but yeah it's it's worth more than a, a whole team's well I was actually thinking about that anyway just not even you know doing that that research and I was like look the whatever they call it they call it Murderers Row or something or Murderers Row was the team that Babe Ruth was on in the twenties. Yeah, that's what it was called. But but when they were like, oh, look, here's the Murderers Row baseball, I was like, yeah, but the stepdad probably had like a story and probably like saw Babe Ruth and ha- Babe Ruth actually. The other one came it. from his own dad. Yeah, so I'm sort of like. His dad gave it to him. So really, that makes the stepdad more of a hero where he totally forgives him after only grounding him for a week and it's a bonding moment. I'm like, that's this, this character's, you know. Yeah, so here's the deal. Like, uh, your dad gave you a lightsaber handle signed by Mark Hamill and then your stepson steals it, destroys it and comes back with one signed, uh, signed by uh, Hayden Christensen and Mark Hamill. Yeah. I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> I want the one my dad gave me with Mark Hamill on it. When it when when he signed it when it was cool to be Mark Hamill in Star Wars. Yeah, but still it's a nice gesture. It softens the blow, you know, like uh... um the other thing I read which is like I love internet theories about movies. There's an internet theory that almost 3 quarters of this movie is actually a dream. Who's and it is, it is Smalls' dream. Right. And it's after he gets knocked out by the baseball his stepdad throws at him. <laughs> he never makes friends. He's just in a coma. Oh, that's so sad. 
like, like, because they're like before that, like, there's no way he's making friends. Why would Benny suddenly magically like him? So they're like, it's all magical thinking in his brain from a concussion that he got from playing catch with his stepdad. It is <laughs> like, I will say, the character of Benny is like an unbelievably cool dude. I'm like, yeah, like, too like cool. in all, <laughs> like he's the best baseball player. He's the nicest he, guy on the team. You know? Yeah, he's the bravest. Like yeah. he's like. The only thing he doesn't contribute to are the plans to get the baseball bat until the end, or the baseball back until the end. But then you know, it's like, his plan that actually works. So. Which is kind of just brute force yes, and that's right. abusing a dog. But, <laughs> I mean, like, he crashes a fence on him. <laughs> yes, true. That's true. But it was accidental. Also, I don't think those two boys could pick up that fence. No. Because <laughs> when he tried to pick it up by himself, it didn't move. No. It's not like he was just off picking again, it up off the dog. Benny can do anything. So when <laughs> Benny's involved, yeah. that's true. Hence the dream. He's idolized Benny into a mythological like superhero. Look, it kind it kind of makes some sense there, but but no, I'm I'm not buying it overall. So um, okay, so we're probably getting towards the endish of this. I'm, I'm, I think I've said what I need to say about the Sandlot. Right. I had a nice time. I enjoyed watching this film. So um, I've I'm... got two more facts and a, a, a little quiz. You ready? Oh, oh a quiz. <laughs> so there are two direct-to-DVD slash streaming sequels to this movie. Uh, there is The Sandlot 2, which focuses on Smalls' younger brother that was yet to be born in this movie. Right. Uh, and then there's Whew. The Sandlot, Heading Home, which is the third one, which is effectively a time travel movie where a professional baseball player played by Luke Perry gets hit in the noggin and wakes up as his childhood self back playing in his Sandlot. Oh. Well, that's a turn. <laughs> the second movie is still written by the, and directed by the same guy. The third movie, has he has nothing to do with it. Yeah, right. Uh, and then my little quiz. Okay, so this came out on April 7th, 1993. What do you think it made in its opening weekend? Okay, well, let's see. April in the US, that's that's getting towards the start of the American summer. So kids would see it if the 90s opening weekend domestically uh yeah this is us five million dollars four million and total tickets that's pretty good and total ticket sales over its first like run uh 32 million so by all measures this movie was a financial success yeah yeah sure. like um it is i think this was during like a, the start of the script boom as well yeah. And he got paid a mill for this script. Yeah, it doesn't, like, I, I think I had actually heard that, like, between this, because his other movie you mentioned, Radio Flyer. He got I, a mill for that, too. Uh, yeah, I was I was pretty sure he was well paid for both of them, because this was the, the real start of that 90s spec, spec script boom, which was insane. And we talk about Armageddon being kind of a part of that mm -hmm. as, as well, like, where people were just getting these massive amounts for uh completed scripts you know it was a which, gold rush it yeah. was like write a script put it out there let someone buy it like it yeah. was mm. pretty cool um That's okay cool. so that was the last of my facts and lastly um i think it's pretty obvious i like this movie 
uh, I still like this movie. I liked it as a kid, and I, I like it now. Me too. You know, you know what? And when I watched it, I then instantly wanted to. I haven't done it yet, but I think I will. Like, I wanted to straight up go and watch Field of Dreams, <laughs> which is another. There's a connection. There's a connection well, to Field of Dreams. L, James L. Jones, no. And the guy who plays Babe Ruth. I was gonna ask you that because he's I one was, of the ghosts. I was actually gonna say is. Is, does he play like Babe Ruth in another movie? Or he doesn't he a... play Babe Ruth, but he plays a baseball, a ghost yeah, baseball player. Right. So, um, I I felt like he'd been an old timey baseball player before, and I I that's that's makes a lot of sense. But I literally was like, okay, and James L. Jones, who was in more than one scene of Field of Dreams, <laughs> yeah, um, a lot more than one scene. <laughs> but like you know, and I'm like, man, yep, yeah, I need I need some more '90s baseball nostalgia oh, he, so you know i think feel the dreams is gonna make its way onto my my watch list very soon in my little note here sorry just on james or jones uh evans later wrote and directed a sequel the sandlot 2 focusing on a new group of kids that had scott smalls's little brother somehow they also convinced james l jones to come back <laughs> <laughs> so he was in sandlot 2 as well yeah nice yeah um, so yeah, so that is The Sandlot or The Sandlot Kids, whatever you're more familiar with. Um, Jim and I really liked it. So now it's time for uh, Tim to inflict his next film upon us and me. So Tim, well, do you ready. have a, are we gonna, am I going to guess? Or I don't gonna... think so because you'll just never get it. Like, you know. <laughs> that's, that's both scary and exciting. <laughs> so... We're going to head into a, a quite a different part of film history, a different filmmaking style to what we've looked at before, um, you know, a different era. Uh, we've not gone back this far before. Uh, and you and I have seen and love some movies from this exact year, but you kind of forget that this other one that we're going to look at was also dropped in the same year. So, so Ben, I'll ask you this. Who is your favorite James Bond? Don't do it, Tim. <laughs> if I'm watching George Lazenby as James Bond, I'm going to be furious. <laughs> it's not Lazenby. Uh, my favorite James Bond is Craig. Right. Well, we're not watching that. Um, so, <laughs> well, I mean, the two choices are, Craig, or the three choices are Craig, Pierce Brosnan, and Connery. Are they? Are they the only choices, Ben? The only good ones. <laughs> I have decided that we are going to go back in time to 1977. And even though we're in 1977, we're not going to watch Star Wars. What we are going to watch is Roger Moore's <laughs> The Spy Who Loved Me. Okay. Tim, I'm, I've held a secret back from you our whole lives because I know how much you love James Bond. I don't like James Bond movies until Daniel Craig. You know what? So, I, I've only seen maybe all of them once. Yeah. If that, I don't think I've even seen all of the old Bonds. Um, so this will be good. I, if I've, like it's, it's either been a very long time since I've watched it 
or I've never watched it before. Well, look, it's it's not my favorite Bond, and obviously we'll do the proper talk about it next time. But I will just say, it's not even my favorite Roger Moore James Bond. Why then? However, it is widely regarded as Roger Moore's best Bond film. So, you know, I'm like, okay. Feels like an oxymoron here, like at a conundrum. Yeah. So this one is of all of the seven James Bonds that Roger Moore did. Uh, this one is supposedly, you know, according to the world, you know, his best. So, um, and I think it's got a lot of classic Bond stuff that uh, I'm going to enjoy discussing with you. So, which 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 Bond is it again? Roger Moore, the Spy Who Loved Me. So this is the one the title of the first Austin Powers parodied. Yes, that's right. So, um, so thank you so much for joining us uh, and watching the Sandlot with Jim and Ben's movie adventures. And the next adventure we will be going on is Roger Moore's The Spy Who Loved Me. See you then. Bye.